Thank you, Thrive Worship Center, for having us again. Yes, as Pastor Scott said last month, it was a blessing to worship with you, and it's a rare privilege to be able to do it again uh, twice in one summer. We hope to be back next summer. But uh, really what's been, you know, on my heart to share with you all this morning is the faithfulness of God. And uh, really it's the, a record of God's faithfulness in my life in me becoming a missionary to Thailand. So it's a, it's a, um, just a blessing to be able to look back and see how God's uh, blessed me despite my foolishness and silliness over the years. But, um, and you know, over the summer I've been reading actually uh, the letter of Second John and there's a one specific verse in there that really just kind of stuck out to me, but I wanted to read the whole letter. I mean, what is it, 13 verses, so uh, it shouldn't take too long, but I'm reading from the NIV this morning, and uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it to Second uh, John. And of course, this, this, this letter uh, is authored by the Apostle John, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he wrote, of course, First John and Third John. But uh, 2 John is, um, interestingly enough, he is talking about not being deceived by false teachers or you could say false missionaries. So hopefully we're not dealing with that this morning, but um, (laughs) anyways, okay. So from uh, verse 1, the elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in the truth and not I only but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands as you have heard from the beginning. His command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have, come, have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. Now, um, uh, the, you know, John is writing to the chosen lady and her children, which most likely, of course, is a church and church is. And the way, of course, the gospel spread in the early church was missionaries or teachers, evangelists going to different um, parts of different areas, different homes, and uh, just spreading the gospel. And of course, there were false teachers, and those that John's talking about uh, primarily in verse 7 is dealing with uh, Gnostics. They uh, don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. And so uh, John is saying, don't entertain these. And then in 3 John, he's actually saying he's encouraging hospitality. But in this one, I just think it's pretty cool that we as missionaries, April and myself, I just, verse 12 really stuck out to me. It says, I have much to write to you, but I don't, do not want to use paper and ink. 
Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. And, you know, we do. We use, in a way, paper and ink as a way to communicate with you guys when we're in Thailand to send you different brochures and letters and things like that over the years. But how much better is it to talk with you face to face as we are even today, to talk with you face to face? And I love the way John says that our joy may be complete. He doesn't say necessarily my joy or your joy, but our joy. And that's what the community is, the body of Christ is. It's a sharing And he also uses it in 1 John where he talks about fellowship, a participation. And so I just, in you know, in verse 12 when John says, I have much to write to you, or you could say another way, I must have much to share with you. And that's all my heart is uh, to share with you a part of my life and the faithfulness of God and, you know, becoming a missionary. And so so that um, hopefully... Uh, our joy would be complete, you know, this morning in just sharing the Word of God with you. But um, I'm the, the youngest of six kids. There's three boys and three girls in my family. Grew up in a Christian home early on, became a believer. And, uh, but when I was a teenager, I walked from, away from the Lord. But as I was a, when I was a 20-year-old, I made a very uh, specific decision to give my life back to the Lord. And it was pretty quick after that that I moved from Knoxville, Tennessee to Fort Worth, Texas to go to a Bible school out there. And in that Bible school, it was really cool because I learned a lot about the Great Commission. There's apparently a statistic going around right now with churches that less than 50% of Christians, I guess in America, I'm assuming, don't know what the Great Commission is. And uh, of course, the Great Commission is in, in the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, Jesus says to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And, of course, those were mainly Jesus' last words. And so we learned about the Great Commission, the importance of the Great Commission. But another thing I learned about in that Bible school was the 1040 window. Maybe you guys have heard, heard of that term, but I'd never heard of the, the 1040 window. That's a large rectangular area that is basically the northern part of Africa, and it extends all the way to the, the sea there in Japan, all the way through Asia. And it's about 10 degrees north latitude up to 40 degrees north latitude. And they call it the 1040 window. And that's where 97% or so of the unreached people in the world live. That's where 80% of the world's most poor people live. And there's about 4 billion people that live in that 1040 window. I mean, it's also strongholds of Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and animism. But I... I think this is still an accurate statistic. For every dollar that's given to Christian missions, one penny goes towards work in the 1040 window. So, you know, there's different ways to say that. And, you know, obviously there needs to be work all over the world. But the reason that most of the unreached people are in this area is because they're the most difficult to reach, sometimes geographically, sometimes culturally. So when, uh, when I learned about the 1040 window and all these difficult places, that's kind of where my heart was drawn. And at this Bible school is really where God put the seed of missions in my heart. And so I worked at the, the, that Bible school, had a ministry, and I worked at the ministry for a couple of years, and I returned to Knoxville. And there I went to a a Presbyterian church of all places. My parents were going there. And it's um, a very old, 200-plus-year-old Presbyterian church. At the the time, I was going through a really pretty cool renewal. 
And that was actually the first mission trip I went on was to Spain. It was a sports mission trip. And I never wanted to come back home. I was just, I loved it. But, um, and incidentally, when I was at the Bible school in Texas two years prior, as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old, um, I had the opportunity to go to Albania. And I wimped out and I didn't, I didn't go. So I, um, I had the courage, I guess, to go to Spain, but not to Albania. But... Um, and so that was, that was um, a very cool experience. And like I said, once uh, we were supposed to get on the plane to go back to America from Spain, I didn't want to go back. I got to stay an extra night because they overbooked the flight, but uh, that, was the, that was the most I got out of it, a few hundred bucks for my trouble. But, um, and then, you know, I, I was always involved in church a whole lot. And then a couple years later, I went to another Bible school and I did the two-year program there. And then the third year, they had a mission school that I went to. And that was really cool because at the end of that uh, training of the mission school, they require you to stay at least one month overseas. And my place that I wanted to choose was, um, that I ended up choosing was China. And I wanted to go somewhere that was quite different from the Western culture. So I went to the Far East in China for a month and loved it. And I was... I guess I was ready to come back after that, but um, it's, you know, sometimes you think, oh, why why'd that missionary choose that, or it's always in their blood from six years old or whatever. That wasn't necessarily the case. I was 20 years old, and God dropped that seed in my heart. And another thing that really got my fire stoked towards missions was a book called Operation World, and I think there's three or four editions since the mid-90s when I was in, in Bible school as a 20-year-old. And it's basically, you pray through, through the year, you'll, you'll pray over every country. And in that, every page, every country gives you a, a snapshot of the, the history of the, of, the, of the country, maybe an economic picture, and of course, spiritual state, things that you need to pray over, things that um, are a praise report. So I would pour over the operation world, and that would just fuel my fire. And that was... So, so instrumental. And then, uh, let's see, after Bible school, going to China, you know, I was ready for graduation. I said, God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go anywhere except for Knoxville, Tennessee. I don't want to go back to my hometown. And of course, you know, that's where I ended up going. And so that was June of 2002. And, but it was cool because I was going back to, my parents had gone to, started going to a non-denominational church. There was maybe 30 or 40 people. And, you know, I'm, what, in my late 20s, and my family's wondering, when is Stephen going to ever get married? You know, he's peculiar as it is. We need to really pray hard for him. So, so that was June of 02, and then October of 02, a few months later, I met the wonderful, glorious April Meredith Bright. And, um, and you know, I was working in the church and helping, volunteering, whatever. And, uh, you know, a little bit later, we ended up getting married. But the way the way I... Um, asked her out, proposed to her, everything all in one package was basically, I would like to marry you. Um, you know, we, we were friends. It's not like I just walked up during greeting time, you know. It's like, you know, give everybody a high five. April, will you marry me? And I want to go anywhere. I want to go, you know, God might call us to anywhere in the world. So basically, that's what I did. I said, I, I believe that we should be married. Uh, what do you think about that? But also... FYI, we may go anywhere in the world to be missionaries. And she's like, uh, just a minute, I'm going to the bathroom. So, 
going to go whatever. So she's like, Lord, what's up with that? And, you know, the Lord said, go back out there. That's your husband. And um, the Lord's been <clears throat> gracious to deal with, um, <laughs> to give me an amazing wife. And every so often, April's like, just a minute, i got to go to the bathroom, Stephen. You're... So <laughs> the Lord says, go back out there. That's your husband. I told you again, yes. And so, um, and so that was kind of the the air, if you will, of our marriage, of our home was, you know, we were like firefighters at the fire station. We could be called any time. And so that wasn't probably the best uh, mindset to have, but that was a, this was 2004 when we got married. So I'd been praying about being a missionary for 10 years. And then a year later, we moved from Knoxville, Tennessee to Charlotte. And uh, that was, that was, that was an awesome thing because there's so many wonderful people we've met and many of you are uh, in this room today and so that's a, that's 2005 serving God 2006 went to India that was really a pretty cool experience very stretching experience going to teach in a bible school there in northeast India and um, but you know I was working a job and it just felt like, God, when is this going to happen? You know, when is this going to happen? When I met April, I was a pool builder. I spent three years building pools. You know, I graduated from Bible school. I had a few years of that experience under my belt. And what, what's God called me to do? Build pools. It's like, okay, sure. Um, felt like Joseph in the book of Genesis, you know, getting sold by my brothers in a pit. And um, the pit was a pool. And... Um, and so, you know, 2008, Charlotte, it, it was, one, you know, things were good, but I had basically kind of settled. I said, well, I guess it's not going to happen. And uh, so, but then, you know, the Lord gives you certain people in your life to encourage you. Give, they, April and I were talking about it this week. She sent me pictures of a, uh, it's a journal, and, you know, we're we're kind of always in transition, but we're moving some things uh, this month, and uh, I had a journal, and it looked like it was completely empty. April's going out of town to do, she's the journal queen, so she had like six of them in her purse, no. but no, she had one what we thought was completely unblemished, but as she's up in Chicago, she's doing some training on some counseling and that kind of thing. She's not getting counseled, but she is learning how to, you know, just that's her thing. She's a wonderful counselor, and so... Um, in this journal, at the, in the back of it, there's like six, seven, eight pages of words from friends over the years about what God's called us to do. And she just, that was like a treasure. She just discovered it. And we've gone over those, and we talk about those words. And uh, so that's 2008. 2009, you know, I'm working with Pastor Scott, and we go out to lunch over there at Foster's on Speedway, and he's like, so, Steve talk to me what's what's in your heart and so I began to share I just I guess I shared what 14 years of frustration if you will of missions and not like a spewed on him but I did talk about how I just felt like the Lord had called me to do this and Asia this and Asia that and I had kind of built up in my mind a way to reach some of the North Koreans because in my mind it was that was the most difficult place to go, and so why not try to help those people because they have the least amount of help? That was in my mind. And so I just I unloaded on Pastor Scott, 
and that's really when you could say, I guess I'd been on the runway, so to speak. And after that, it was like the Lord really began to move us towards moving to the mission field. And uh, about a year later, we took a prospective trip to Thailand with some friends of ours that we were supporting. We'd been supporting them for years, so we went out and did a prospective trip with them. And then a year later, we moved to Thailand. And that was, I mean, there's so many, obviously, different things in that. But, you know, April was five months pregnant. Elise was about five years old when we did that. And that was summer of 2011. We moved to Thailand. And uh, we didn't know what, really, we thought we knew what to expect, but God had more for us. And so it just felt like for so many years, what, what, what do you want me to do with this, Lord? You gave this to me in 1994, 95, 96. It's 2008. It's 2009. What, what? And I'm sure people like maybe what? Abram, Abraham, Lord, you, you gave me this promise. What, what do I do with it? I've been faithfully serving you as best I can. And you know, you don't have to be a missionary to, to, reflect on, to think about, to, to, have, to be in a place like I'm talking about. I'm just telling you my story. But my story is a story of the faithfulness of God. And we all have experiences of God's faithfulness. But is it something that we forget about, though? I think if we stop and take some time and actually realize the faithfulness of God because we're running, right? We're, we're connecting. We're texting three people at a time in traffic, right? You're at a stoplight. I'm checking this out. I'm making this list, to-do list. And that's all good and well, but we can't survive like that. We can't go long-term like that. And that's why, you know, I... Obviously, Pastor Scott asked me to share, so I take some time to pray and reflect, and then it's like, you know what, that's a time to reflect on the faithfulness of God. And like I said, regardless of where you're at, God's been faithful to you. But how much do we really realize it? If you, if you kind of think back, wow, I met that person, and I'm, wow, and God really put that person in my life at that time and that encouraging word or whatever. You know, there were months and years at different times in my life that I just blew through that I felt like my life was in fragments. Just, you just have pieces. It's like I thought this was a, I thought this was a beautiful piece of pottery, but it's just, it feels like it's shattered all over the floor. And, you know, that's, that's the way we might view things. That might be our perspective, but God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And the cool thing is, you know, we, we spend a little bit of time in, in airplanes in, Thai, in and around Thailand. And, uh, and, you know, Thailand is the number one exporter of rice in the world. No one exports more rice than the country of Thailand. Yes, China produces more rice, but they just all consume it on themselves because there's, what, 1.2 billion of them. So there's a lot of rice fields in Thailand. And, you know, you see them driving around town and, you, you know, kind of like you can look out across the road here and you see those. 
rice fields. And you know, rice needs to grow in standing water, basically. And you see those farmers and they're just laboring to go through to, to produce rice. But when you're in an airplane, those rice patties, those rice patties look so different. They actually kind of, they look kind of like a window, a paned window when you look at it from, I don't know if we have that picture, but see how it's, those little lines, they, they irrigate water. They drain it into those ditches. And to me, that's, I mean, that's beautiful. But I think sometimes we're on the ground, we're thinking, man, this is, this is grueling. This is terrible. How can I make it through this? But I think when we reflect on the faithfulness of God, change our perspective even just a little bit, realize, you know what, these aren't fragments. This is actually a masterpiece. You know, Ephesians 2 says we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We're not God's workmanship by the job that we have or by what we do with our daily life or how many kids we have or don't have or how many followers we have on social media. You're, you are God's workmanship. you God's masterpiece. Another way to say it is you're woven by God. And, uh, you know, Galatians 6, 9 I like what it tells us. It says, don't, don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I'm not standing up here like i am done something awesome. Actually, I like what the Apostle John says, we're here face to face so that our joy may be complete. It's not my joy like I've done something awesome. You know what? I wouldn't be up here if it wasn't for you guys, if it wasn't for Pastor Scott encouraging me years ago. That was almost 10 years ago. It's our joy, and it's the faithfulness of God. But, as I said, Galatians 6, 9, Apostle Paul, don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know what? I hate to say it, but those last few words, if we do not give up, that actually means it's a choice. That actually means it's a choice. I'm not... (laughs) We often think, we get so discouraged, we think the only choice is to give up or to give in to that temptation. When temptation comes, it makes you think that's the only way out is to give in to that. Jesus was in the wilderness And that's when Satan came to tempt him. He didn't come to tempt him right after he was baptized. And the voice of God, the Father, is booming from heaven. Jesus would say, that would have been like a fly on your shoulder. But Jesus was weak. He'd fasted. He was at a very physically weak point, and the enemy came then. And guess what? Jesus made a choice, and he didn't give up. That means it's actually in your power to continue on with God. Not in your power alone, obviously. That's taxing to do it in and of yourself. But to actually say, you know what? I, I want to give up God. Even being honest with God and just saying, God, I want to give up. I, I, don't, I don't know what else to do. 
And then you know what? God says, you know what? In your weakness, you're actually, my strength is greater than your weakness. I, I am greater. Because you know what? Maybe we actually step back and let the grace of God step in. It's really pretty simple, but I think we, we love to complicate it and think, well, that reason, and, and God doesn't know this, and God doesn't know that, or Stephen, you don't know this, or Stephen, you don't know. Of course I don't. I don't know your grueling situation, but God does. Jesus does. The amount of pain that you or I could go through isn't as significant as what the pain that Jesus experienced on the cross. We know that, but... And it's not about physical pain, but when you're in physical pain, you, it feels like it's forever. And Jesus experienced an, an amazing amount of physical pain, not to mention all the other aspects. So taking time to reflect on the faithfulness of God and saying, you know what, I want to give up. But I want to reap that harvest, whatever that harvest is, whether it's the healing or the wisdom or direction or provision. God's got it for you, but just don't give up because God is faithful. So that's um, 44 years, I guess, of my life in about what 20-something minutes. But uh, you guys are in our hearts. We, we, Pastor Scott always jokes when we, when we Skype with you guys, stand up, Stephen April, you're in your pajamas, you know, or whatever, because it's our Sunday night or whatever, and April's been sleeping, so I wake her up, and she still looks all beautiful, but it, it, we just bounce off the walls after we, after we Skype with you guys, even though it's whatever time at night, because it's just encouraging to... That's as close as we can get to face-to-face, and that's what we're doing this morning is being face-to-face with you so that our joy may be complete. And so thank you guys for helping us uh, complete what God's called us to do in Thailand. So.